Hi, everybody. I am Hugh Heisel, Broadway producer, performer, avid show tune listener, future cat dad, theatrical marketer, and current director of marketing at Broadway Records. Welcome to The World Behind, The World to Come, a series of docu-shows that explores the world behind, the world to come. So as always, I would like to be joined by our panel of multi-hyphenate co-creators, director showrunner Rachel Klein, composer orchestrator Andy Peterson, and narrator writer Eric Ransom. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hey, Hughesical. I should have said in the intro, I'm also known as Hughesical the Musical, but that's only because of you, Rachel, and I give you full credit <laughs> for that misnomer that people call me. I'll show you a misnomer. <laughs> Oh, Miss. That'd be a great drag name. I miss nowhere. <laughs> so let's dig into seven and eight. They're fantastic. As I continue to listen to this series, I am listening just along with the regular audience. I have not learned about anything ahead of time. I'm with you all when you're listening to this. I am with you right now. But I love episode seven and eight because we get to the show. So it's the day of the show, y'all, which is, I love that callback to Waiting for Guffman, where the Cardinal performs in his fabulous show, My Dinner with Andre, exclamation point, the musical, and the fellowship take that fateful trip to Queen's Realm, where they've learned everything along their way, and they get to compile and, and compare notes and dig into what is going on. So the Cardinal show did not get the best review. <laughs> it got pretty harsh reviews from a certain high priestess. Eric, how did you come up with this idea of the Gleevangelical Church? Ah. Uh. Picture it. Closing night of Grinder the Opera in scenic Vauxhall, London. I was getting drink and having a curry with the cast. One of them, William Spencer, pointed out this Instagram account, Inappropriate Patty. Now, as a lifelong Patty Lapone fan who forced his mother to drive him from New Brunswick, New Jersey to Baltimore, Maryland to see her Matters of the Heart concert, I was enthralled immediately. I, like, read the Instagram from cover to cover and cut to about a year later when the quarantines hit, we were looking for something special for that track. It was originally written as kind of a placeholder soloist who was, it was just like, like soloist. It was supposed to be like the minds of most people in the audience, like one person singing their thoughts about the show. But then I was like, I don't like, I don't like that. I don't love that. I want it to be like something special. And someone posted inappropriate Patty's latest video on Facebook. And I was like, Seems a downright shame. Uh, and uh, I reached out, slipped into uh, slipped into those DMs, rewrote the entire track, rewrote an entire new song, Jettison the Old One, and High Priestess Patty was born. Well, that's what DMs are meant for, for slipping in. That's right. <laughs> so, Andy, um, in these two episodes, you really ran the musical gamut in them from the really dark militant opening number of episode seven into that Eric Satie-inspired jazz through Kurt Vile, and then to the Celtic folk music meets J.R.R. Tolkien and beyond. What were these episodes like, not only to write these songs, but to score? It was a lot of fun, just being able to delve into these styles and one moment be listening to the Lord of the Rings soundtrack and the next moment be listening to Eric Satie and like, as a music nerd, like just delving into these styles and thinking about what makes them what they are has just been so much fun. And right. as someone who always just strives to educate oneself, it's, it's great to just be writing and educating yourself at the same time. I really love that in the beginning of episode eight, in that really darkly opening number that M just like digs into like 
in the wheelhouse for this performance. It's amazing. The song and the performer completely mold and meld into each other. It, it must have been so much fun to perform that. But let, let me let me dig into this this Celtic number a little bit. There's some amazing percussion that's going on. It's really quite inspired. Can you tell us how you discovered the need for this and how you wrote the percussive moments within that song? Well, I had worked with Mike Luno, our sound producer and sound guy. He had played the Irish drum in like a workshop production like five years ago, I think. Sounds right. The Bowron. And I remembered that he had played that. And so when we got to episode eight and I read through the script and saw that we were getting into Irish land, I was like, Mike, you've got to burst out this drum. And he was so willing to just keep layering on more and more percussion because initially it was just the Irish frame drum. And then he was like, I'm just going to add this and this and this. And I was like, you just go to town on this. Yeah, the, the song, The Right of Giving, for our, for our listening audience, is, is one of my favorite moments in the show. As, and uh, I didn't know I was Irish until I had my ancestry DNA test. And it said, oh, yeah, you're Irish. I kind of felt it that it was uh, it's in my bones. But it's really great. So I would love to bring in Mike into this conversation, who can tell us a little bit more about <laughs> this Celtic thunder that you brought into the show. Mike Luno, everybody. Sure thing, Hugh. Well, as Andy said earlier, there were several layers to this song. By the time he sent it to me, he had written all the parts for all the pitched instruments, as well as a part for the tambourine and for the Irish drum, which is called the boron. It's pronounced a few different ways. I've heard boron, bauron, baron, bauron. It's spelled B-O-D-H-R-A-N, and there's an accent over the A. I know that it's confusing, but that's just what you're getting into when you start getting into Gaelic, so get ready. So the core of the song is this boron and tambourine part, as well as the fiddle part, which is played by our sound designer, Sean Haggerty. And then I just took drums from all over the place, all around the world, and I layered them on top and recorded several performances of each instrument, to give the impression of a community event. And then I just took drums, rattles, bells, shakers from all over the place, all around the world, and layered them on top of one another and recorded several performances of each instrument to give the impression of a community event. Queen's Realm is a post-apocalyptic version of Queen's New York, which is the most diverse place on the planet. I imagine the cosplayers of Queen's Realm would also be diverse and have a variety of drumming techniques and instruments and rhythmic concepts and all of that. So I tried to bring as much of that to this number as I could. Have you played a lot of Celtic music before? Is this something that is in your history? Yeah. So I am a percussionist and I studied percussion in college. And one of the things that one does when studying percussion in college is to learn about instruments from around the world. So I was studying hand drums from Cuba, Haiti, Brazil, Ghana, the Middle East, etc. I am Irish. My mother's side of the family is of Irish descent. They've been in the U.S. for generations, but are culturally Irish. Shamrocks on everything. So they're American Irish, specifically Northeastern Ohio Irish. Ohio-Irish. Well, Ohio-Irish Catholic. <laughs> we'll take a ball of peanut butter, cover it in chocolate, and feed it to you, but you're going to feel guilty about it. 
So I had this realization that as a white person of Irish descent in America, I was studying all of these musics from around the world, but I was not at all in touch with the musical tradition of my people, of Irish American immigrants. So through advice from my percussion teacher, I contacted some stagehands who were active in the Irish community and traditional Irish music scene. And one guy in particular, Ox Guerra, played the Boron and was also a drum major in a Scottish pipe band with like the bagpipes, the Highland pipes. And so through them and going to the bars when I was totally of legal drinking age (laughs) and playing in traditional Irish music sessions, that was actually a really pretty significant turning point in my musical development because that's where I really learned how to just kind of groove and how to exist in this sort of tapestry of time that's divorced from our Western art music sensibility of pulse and tempo Mm -hmm. and time communication. That's great. I have a friend and collaborator, Molly McLaughlin, who's a very accomplished flute player and has a wonderful album of original music that everyone should check out. It's called A Beautiful Dying. It's available on streaming services everywhere. But we started playing Irish music together at the same time when we were college roommates. I actually watched a tutorial VHS on the Boron in her room because it was the only VCR in the apartment. But Molly and I toured Mexico together playing Irish music. I've played the Boron on the Tony Awards, on Broadway, in countless dance classes. So, yeah, it's definitely always been a big part of my musical life. Well, I'm glad we brought your Broadway Boron talents into the world to come. Myself also, Hugh. (laughs) Broadway Boron. (laughs) Thanks for uh, popping in and letting us know more about all these Celtic drumming and the the world drumming that you brought uh, to this uh, really fancy, fabulous song. I loved it. The pleasure's all mine, Hugh. Thank you. So, Ray, let's talk about the tone of the storytelling. It's a little bit different in episode seven and eight, but it's all still, it feels like it's all within the same universe. And it's purposely a little bit different because now we're going deeper into the adventures. Did you have any particular tactics that you used to help all the characters find a common universe even while the storytelling and these worlds are emerging that are different than ones we've been in before? Sure, Hugh. I think for me, the difference of genre like we have this beautiful tapestry of so many genres to get to play with and build from and create the characters from that because everybody is so different it somehow organically makes it easier to make it cohesive tonally for episode seven it's a episode that takes place in just one location we're at the roost we're seeing the show and there's a lot of focus on the show and then there's focus on the fellowship sort of a capsule episode and episode eight is the exact opposite we're on a venture episode we're in multiple locations we start in Soderbergh and then we get deeper into the culture of Soderbergh and then we move on into Queen's Realm where we then get deeper into the culture there as Andy and Mike had just discussed musically but we're meeting the subgenres of the people. So if you think of the faction leaders, the characters that we know who are our fellowship members, they are the genre. And then we're getting into the subgenre below, if that makes sense. And then the music is such an elevating factor. And it's this sweeping Hans Zimmer kind of atmosphere. So then you bring in the actors and for them to also be big and bold with their choices, but to never add a winker and nod to what they're doing to always make it come from the heart first and foremost. And I think that that is another key element that even though we've got this enormous web of different 
different genres that we're pulling from, it all is getting pulled into the to the center. Did you find that you had to remove some winks that were naturally coming out of people's performances? Or was everybody kind of in there and understanding from the beginning? Everyone seemed to be understanding from the beginning. I mean, a lot of the actors that we have mentioned before in previous iterations of this, the roles were written specifically for them. So this was, you know, we knew exactly who would be able to, to click with what kind of source material. And there was also a lot of discussion through our table read process about that. So by the time we got into recording, there weren't, weren't so many added winks that would then pull focus. We want the universe to be as big and beautiful and over the top as possible, but also to be driven by that heart, to be driven by that um, emotional core of people coming together very real to them and to the situation. So um, this is for all three of you. In this episode, we get into the Quarantine's Day celebration, which is a, it hits a little close to home. And in episode eight, Bastian reveals some of the origins of this apocalypse that led to the fall of the civilization and to the rise of Five Borough with the grand song, The Paper Plague. Is this a statement or is this more of a historic, this is where we could be going if we don't watch out. What are your feelings about this? The world to come is definitely a product of the times. It's something that was written during and sort of in response to the time in which we live. So I thought a lot about how things might develop and, and how to get there from here, or essentially. So actually in Fiveborough, because, you know, we have this uh, trend of the past 10 years or so to always blame the year. <laughs> for for the bad things that happen within it. And every year gets worse, it seems. A bunch of celebrities die one year. It's like, oh, put Betty White in Fort Knox. She's our last golden girl and she must be preserved. And that kind of thing. So uh, so thinking about that in, in terms of this and that 2020 really did take the cake in that regard, that was sort of like the last year of human civilization as far as Five Borough is concerned. So now that we're in 2021, this is actually to Five Borough, the first year of a new era post-BC, post-AD, um, or BCE, if you prefer it. This is now WR, the world that remains that we're living in. So they have a different calendar system that starts at the apocalypse that began in 2020, as they perceive it, of course. In terms of the music for The Paper Plague, because the music of the Criterions is more electronic-based, but we wanted to make this more of a performance, like art piece. And so I took a lot of inspiration from the Dresden Dolls and Kurt Weill, and then kind of thought about putting them together with Billie Eilish kind of synthy stuff. And that's kind of the sound that we gave to Emmett and Emmett soars on that kind of theatrical storytelling. I also sensed a little bit of One Night in Bangkok, too. Sure, oh. sure. <laughs> Unintentional, but yes, maybe. <laughs> but it's that commentary while telling a history. Exactly, exactly. Because that kind of like cabaret style of music is often political. It's all like cabaret is, uh, good cabaret is political. And so that's the world that we wanted to go in, but still keep it within the world of the Criterions. Excellent. All right, well, now we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will introduce some of the stars of the world to come. All 
right, we are back with today's special guest from the world to come, cast members, uh, returning champion, Kate Hoover. Hello! Uh, we also have Jonathan Hoover, no relation. Oh! And Ms. Joanna Carpenter. Welcome, everyone. Hi! So, uh, Joanna, let's start with you. You first appeared within the world to come as Lady Hyacinth in episode five, but in episode eight, you returned with a whole new attitude <laughs> and a whole new accent. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Everwin Flutterwing. Which role was more fun and which one came to you more naturally? I just really appreciate characters that have such distinct schizophrenia. <laughs> I love them both equally. I think I relate to Everwin a little bit more uh, just because she is so very physical. She's such an athlete and I think she derives a lot of pleasure from hitting and stabbing things. So what does that say about me? We don't know. We're going to leave that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you think the two of them would be friends? And in what scenario might they be hanging out? Oh, I do actually. So I'm pretty sure that Lady Hyacinth would give everyone dating advice. I think Hyacinth is just so good with society and people and relationships and everyone is like not. She's like the like, everyone trying to date would be, like, just the Kool-Aid man trying to be subtle. It just doesn't work. <laughs> so I think there would be an exchange of, of that there. And I can totally see them at a bar together, like Lady Hyacinth sipping on some, like, sherry out of out of a little crystal glass that has been scavenged from a back alley somewhere in the tunnels. <laughs> and everyone definitely like ripping shots or just drinking a beer that always seems to just refill itself. I want to write that now. <laughs> yeah, really? So at, at this point, uh, Lady Hyacinth's bow has kind of departed her. Uh, how, you know, we, we don't really know right now what's going on. And maybe that will appear in future episodes, Eric. But how do you think she's feeling having been abandoned? Oh, God. She's so good at compartmentalizing. Like, she's she's so good. She's probably in complete denial that he ever even existed because that's how she deals with things. So I guarantee that she has, a, she has a flask of sherry and she is just, like, going about her daily routine and she's very focused on the style. She's, like, finding new outfits, which is all to mask a deep, deep sense of rejection and pain. <laughs> Which of the period dramas do you think she derives her whole personality and her existence from? Because that's all about the period. Yes. Like they, they're not original. They go from these highly costumed dramas. Yes. Which, which is she digging? She is absolutely convinced that she was at Downton Abbey, 100%. As which of the sisters or as, as one of the visiting lords and ladies kind of thing. Oof, that's hard. That's hard. Cousin. She's a cousin. Yes, yes. Yeah, Rose. I think it's Rose. Yeah, she yeah. she would totally be Rose, except she's not, like, really allowed to party. So um, she's, like, Rose Light. <laughs> she's a diet Rose. <laughs> hello, hello. Kate, hi! Hello! Welcome back. Uh, happy to be back. <laughs> so the last time you joined us, we talked about Millicent Knickerbocker. Mm -hmm. But in episode eight... You have an entirely different personality. I know. And you speak in Cinder and Elvish as a native of Middle Earth with the name of Elder Zevriel. Are you a natural nerd who knows all about these characters and this world? Yes, I am absolutely 110% a nerd. Um, <laughs> nerd, but like I did have to do research on Elvish because obviously I wanted to make sure. I didn't want to like half-ass it and like not do a good job you know like I wanted to represent my my nerd community so I was like okay so I literally and Eric can attest I was like texting him 
all night one night and I was like, okay, I think I found the pronunciation and I watched like a ton of YouTube videos. There's different, like, I guess, kinds of Elvish languages, you know, like the, the one mm-hmm. we use is like yeah. uh, Sindarin, but like, um, there's, there's a ton of others. So I had to make, Renya. Renya, yeah, yeah. It's like, so I had to make sure that I had the right kind of pronunciation. It's a whole, I mean, there's a reason why people actually study it in colleges and universities. Like, right. it's it's a serious thing. Well, you were so good at it. I thought you took AP Elvish. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Like, again, I, I really worked hard on it. Literally, like, what the hell did you just say? Well, and I, I actually, like, I recorded myself saying it, like, after you know, going over it a million times. And I would just listen right. to it over and over again. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I actually had to listen. I had, had to go and look at the cast list to see who played this and then realize it was you because it didn't sound like the the Kate that I know or have, have met before. It's like, oh, look at Kate. Just, just oh, thank you. Being fabulous. Thank as, you. As an and I want to know about the ears because I don't think we've, we've resolved what the ears really look like yet as far as episode eight. So I hope we find out what happens in the future. Danielle is on yeah, the I was going to say that t- TBD <laughs> <laughs> will let you know. No spoilers. No I don't, s- I don't. Spoilers, <laughs> yes. Please don't tell me anything. Jonathan, hello. 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 Uh, big time, long time fan. Huh? Speaking of, you have this alias on Instagram. And you are known for your really uncanny... Patty Lapone impression? It seems so. Under the guise of Inappropriate Patty. That's the name of, of the account. And here you are in episode eight, bringing Patty right into Fireborough. If she is listening now, is there anything that you would like La Lupone uh, to know about your portrayal, uh, whether just in this episode or your entire uh, Instagram life? Well, I think that my statement kind of covers both, actually, because I, <laughs> I hope that she can hear and see especially in the song and lyrics that Eric and Andy came up with that like we're on her side. Like I imitate her because I have studied her with a sad musical theater nerds devouring. I have listened to her my whole (laughs) life. She is Sesame Street in a way to me. Um, And so I hope she knows that it is all love. And I still haven't seen Sunset Boulevard with Glenn Close Oh, to this day, so I did. I saw Miss Betty Buckley, and I saw um, oh, what's her face, the one from Britain, Elaine Page. No, Elaine Page. Oh, yeah, I saw Patula Clark. I saw that too. <laughs> God bless. I would love to see Miss Lapone in that, uh, but maybe you bring it. Maybe you're the one to provide. Honestly, if I am available, um, and I will provide my own staircase if I have to. Oh, I love it. I love it. And your own monkey. <laughs> my own monkey. That's extra. <laughs> we heard Eric's side of the story of how he reached out. Tell me your side of the story of how you first heard about this project. Firstly, I wish that my camera was on while he was telling that because I only have my DM side of that. Um, and I was blushing bright red and laughing. So firstly, thank you for that. It was a gift, honestly, to have someone slide into your DMs in a time where no art is happening and say, hey, there's some people making art. You want to like come art with us? It was like one of those things you stop and are like, is this real? Like, I need to go look at this account really quick and make sure that this this feels a little too... I've not really been asked to use Patty in any real way other than like how I'm using her. And so it was like a little daunting to think about like having to portray a char- her as a character. But also like, I mean, what's a greater compliment than someone being like, hi, we'd like to write a part and a song for you like that. 
that's if I could tell me starting this account that that's where it was going to lead, like that would be good enough cause to have started it. Well, it's, it's you're fabulous in this. Oh, thank you. I first learned about you from Eric actually earlier on, <laughs> and then since then I have watched every single one of your videos. So everybody has to check you out oh. on the Insta and quite enjoy. So this is departing the conversation a little bit. Have you been approached by any other fabulous impressionists of Broadway people who are on the Insta to form some sort of a cross? Actually, when this all was supposed to go down, me and a girl named Carly Saklov were working on putting a little show together with a man named Dan Mashisha. We hadn't figured out where, but we wanted it right. to basically be us being all the ladies that we do, yeah. being in like a book building musical theater class. So like singing songs that they shouldn't sing and duetting. But then all of this hit. Are there other ladies that, that we don't know about that you perform? Yeah, I do uh, Bernadette. I've got a loose Betty Buckley. I'm still like working on honing that in. Right. Uh, Daphne Rubin Vega. I've got, who else can it? Carol Channing. Eric, are you taking notes? I requested <laughs> his entire resume of impressions. And may I say, one of my absolute favorite clips on the Insta is Patty and Bernadette duetting, I still believe, from Miss Saigon that was inspired. I highly, highly recommend it. It's 317. It's even more niche than that. It is the confrontation. Such a deep cut. <laughs> and it cut me so deeply. <laughs> well, I can't wait to see more of them. We've already heard from Kate a little bit in our previous docu-so, but let's talk about our, our recording process in our home studios. None of us are near a real recording booth or a functioning recording studio. What is your recording situation like? And one other actor said he was in a playpen with blankets all over him. What is your situation? Mine actually was kind of a disaster. I'm like the least prepared person for this kind of thing, which is silly because voiceovers is like a hope. And so I recorded on my phone because like Mike and I had like a meeting and he taught me how to set my phone. And then my boyfriend actually purchased a lovely mic that I recorded my song with. And they were like, thank you so much for recording this song. Can you go back and do like the whole script again now with a better mic because it's like so bad from your phone get it together Jonathan no they were all very nice but um, so for me it was actually kind of like a trial and error that I'm happy to have worked out but I wish I would have had figured out before right. this all started all right Joanna how about you I started doing a deep dive into voiceover in like August of last year when this all happened I had just spent a couple months getting very familiar with the tech setup and what it needs to be and you know all of that stuff and I am uh, like awkwardly very blessed in my closet for some reason the apartment that I live in it's a studio apartment but it has a very long closet with like two doors so I have effectively built out a studio in my apartment so I've got the foam padding on the walls and insulation and I have like all this crazy setup and like a beautiful mic and when Rachel reached out and was like hey we're doing this thing I was like maybe I will be tech adequate that's exciting. Yeah, it was it's been cool. It's been it's been very cool to like play and see how it's all coming together technologically and shout out to Mike and the team for doing all of this because I can't imagine. When I do voiceover, I I ship it off as an MP3 and I don't ever have to think about it again. <laughs> I feel like Mike's beard has just been curling because he's got so much to deal with. So yeah, I pretty much I pretty much had a, a as close to a studio setup as you can get in a home when we started. 
when you're in your home studio, do you, where do you put the clothes? It's funny that you ask that because very often I don't... Unless you have like three things that are hanging there because you probably... Kind of, kind of. No, I love that because I don't usually wear pants for recording sessions. But in terms of like the rest of my clothes, I push everything to either end and it's the middle chunk oh. of the closet that is built out, which is kind of cool because the clothing serves as insulation. But I also did like a purge. I did like a pandemic beginning purge where I was like, I don't ever need clothes ever again and got rid of a bunch of stuff. I did too. And like, I have the, all these clothes to donate and then I couldn't donate them for six right, months. Right. And then you're just staring at them. Sad. Yes. Sitting yes. In, my, in my hallway in giant tubs. Like, <laughs> yep. anyway. But good for the purge. That, that's great. For all three of you, let's talk about developing these characters. What was it like to go from the page to a fully home performance. What was the process like for you? I was hearing you say before, I also, I I don't know if I'm Irish or not. I I would like to think so. Because I, I have had a deep connection to Ireland since I was a child for some reason. It's just always somewhere I've wanted to go. And um, I mean, RIP before the quarantine. So I've actually been there like three times. I, I would go there like once a year. I just, I adore it. I, again, like my grandmother tells me something different about my heritage every time I ask her. So jury's out, but I, you know, I'm, I'm going to say I am sort of maybe. Yeah. Just that love of Ireland made me really excited to get into this character. And I mean, I love dialects. So I just kind of started, I was like, Oh, let's, let's, let's start out with a nice County Cork accent. But then of course, like that sort of melded and it, my character sort of has like a very uh, a, a mutt version of all different sorts of Irish accents but I kind of am okay with it because it's like if you think about the world to come everything's kind of become all spliced and warped and and I figure you know how would we even know like regions and edit, like it's it's all kind of right. melded together Right. It's all cosplay. It's all cosplay. Exactly. You're all LARPing. It's LARPing. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's great. So, uh, Joanna, let's move on to you at, while we're in the world of, of Irish elves. Let's talk about your how you developed your character. Yeah. So, fun fact, I actually am a quarter Irish, which is fun. I'm a text nerd, and so I love diving into language and the script and all of that stuff. And the way that Eric writes is so vibrant that it's impossible to not see the picture as you're spending time with the page. It made it very easy in a sense because when the picture is painted so vividly, you can see how you fit into the world. And I, I relate to everyone just because, you know, she's she's just, she's a badass and she doesn't, you know, she's like <laughs> awkwardly a badass though about it. Like she, you know, she's a little, <laughs> she's a little brazen and socially strange. That was familiar territory <laughs> for me. And then with, with Hyacinth, I love spending time in this Victorian, you know, in this Victorian world. And um, I've worked with both Rachel and Eric on other Victorian pieces before. And the accent and the relationships and the the frivolity of it is just so fun. So it was it was such a beautiful opportunity to play with dialects and with silliness and, you know, with idiosyncrasies from everybody. I just, you know, nerd out about the script and enjoy being part of that vast spectrum of creativity. Right. Uh, Jonathan, how about you? I mean, I feel like I'm in a lucky position where this was sort of a world, a character I've been inhabiting for a minute. So for me, it was mostly understanding the humor and the world that they created, especially uh, I only read my script because I wasn't sent the whole thing. And I take part of such a little piece of it 
that sort of getting uh, an idea for the world took a second. But I will say, um, and a testament to Eric is like, I felt like I saw that sense of humor right away. Like, I was like, I fit into this. Like, I, I see where Patty fits into the sense of humor. So for me, it was more fun to like, actually just get to play her outside of my bathroom, you know, and like actually apply her to text and listening back to the episode. Something I'd like to take going forward is understanding the color of the way she speaks. Cause I would like to bring that out mm-hmm. more now on the other side. When you first got the script, did you feel like Patty, like this Patty's getting the, the script for the first time and how she would approach? <laughs> Juilliard. Absolutely. I spent like three weeks diving into, the Julia, uh, I was tremoring and doing mm. my link later exercises and like doing everything Alexander. I could. To. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. A lot of sense memory work okay. and repeating. I repeated with myself just all day long. <laughs> Let's talk about favorite moments. Did you have any fun memories of the process along the way? Is anything stick out? Oh, God, this music is uh, Andy Peterson. Sometimes I want to punch him in the throat. He's so good. <laughs> at what he does. Um, He's safe in Florida, though, so I can't reach him. I've really enjoyed the entire process, but there is something extra special about working with a composer who is so incredibly gifted, who is on a team with a writer who is also so incredibly gifted. It turns into a playground and, you know, kind of going back to what Jonathan was saying earlier, in a time when art is not really being made, like getting handed these gigantic sweeping pieces of music and exercising those muscles when it can't really happen right now and having somebody be like we're gonna you throw in throw into the sandbox let's just go that has probably been my favorite my favorite part love you andy (laughs) it's mutual jonathan how about you okay the listening parties aren't a part of the like process but they are one of my favorite things i think my favorite Part was actually coming in day one because I was so friggin' nervous. And like, I I don't translate well on Zoom, but I knew the moment that I signed into that first rehearsal and recording that like I was walking into people that were like-minded and family-like already. They I, I felt like I spoke their language. Rachel immediately made me feel like I had been in pre-pro. Like it they it was <laughs> I think feeling welcome was my favorite. You know, they've all been working on this piece for a little while and doing a lot of recordings before I came in. And I didn't feel like the new kid at school. And that was cool. Great. How about uh, Kate? We've already heard your fun memory from uh, episode one through four. Do you have anything in these these episodes? I know we've touched on it before. I love how collaborative that this entire podcast has been drawing back to my nerd roots. I've started playing D&D during the quarantines. Uh, it took me a pandemic to finally start playing Dungeons and Dragons, but I, I love it. I'm on my like second campaign. And like, just the fact that, you know, I like reached out to Eric and I'm like, oh, look at this fun role. Like, wouldn't it be hilarious if like there was like a D&D mention and Eric's like, haha. And like, just like all of a sudden we have the Luxones of Shannara that they <laughs> talk about. And I, I love that. Like, and I love the Foley effect when that dice is rolled too. It's so precise. <laughs> Again, the special effects, like chef's kiss, honestly. But just, yeah, the collaboration, that's the beauty of this entire process is that it can change people. You know, like everyone involved takes ideas and, and runs with them. It's really uh, awesome to be a part of it. I'm super honored. Fantastic. Does anybody have anything they want to plug? No. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it's quarantine times. Inappropriate Patty on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. You, if, as, as a Lapone yes. Masseur. I'm just trying to figure out what day it is here, <laughs> if anybody can tell me. This was my thing to do. Like, I, what else? I plug this. Plug yeah. it. <laughs> I can't wait to see what Patty says about 21. Same, same. Yeah, me either. <laughs> I watched so many, like, Andy Cohen, Patty Lapone interviews to try to find the, the sass voice. You nailed it. Clearly you did too. We're obviously brothers in Patty. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time, everyone. That's all the time we have for today. But join us next time as we delve deeper into the world of Five Borough and offer a primer for the epic final third of our first season. Please follow The World to Come on social, on Instagram and Twitter at W2C Musical. That's the letter W, the numeral 2, the letter C, and Musical. And on Facebook.com at Facebook.com slash W2C Musical. If you'd like to help support the project and these wonderful artists who've been doing this as a labor of love, please subscribe to our Patreon at Patreon.com slash W2C Musical. And to find out more about the cast, the crew, the creative team, and everybody, please visit theworldtocomemusical.com. I'm Hugh Heisel. I have one thing to plug. I work at Broadway Records, and we've noticed that some of the Broadway fans are a little sad that Broadway is closed right now. So we have created a fabulous sweepstakes to get everybody excited that Broadway will be back once this all ends. So we've created the Broadway We'll Be Back sweepstakes where one lucky winner can win a week-long trip to New York to see seven Broadway shows, stay at a fancy hotel, go on shopping sprees, go on all sorts of wonderful dining experiences, go see wonderful attractions and VIP experiences. And it is free to enter at broadwayrecords.com. Enter the Broadway We'll Be Back sweepstakes. So until next time, I am Hugh Heisel, and this has been The World Behind, The World to Come. Bye, everybody. Wherever you are.